Hey, it's Brandon. Welcome to Transform Your Workplace. Today's episode is brought to you by Zenium HR. Learn how organizations are freeing themselves up from the burdens of HR and payroll administration by leveraging Zenium's complete HR plus payroll solution. Learn more at zeniumhr.com. Today's guest is Jessica Kriegel, the chief scientist of workplace culture at Culture Partners. And we touched on a lot of different areas in this podcast. We're talking about how at the beginning of the pandemic, leaders tried so many unique engagement strategies with their employees because this was also new. The whole remote work thing was something many leaders had never experienced. So we talk about that. And then we we touch on the anti-work movement. There was a, a movement happening about this. And she elaborates on what this really means. Does it mean people don't want to work all together or does it mean something more than that? So we touched on that. And then we talk about employee engagement versus employee fulfillment and why she believes that employee fulfillment is the path forward to making sure your employees are happy and engaged. Enjoy the episode. Make sure to connect with Jessica on social media and me on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. And if you're enjoying the show, make sure to go over to Apple Podcasts, give us that five-star rating and a written review would be awesome too. And to top it off, we are starting to produce some video-based podcasts. So hop over to YouTube and check out the full episode of this one. Enjoy today's episode with Jessica Kriegel. Jessica, it's a pleasure to have you on Transform Your Workplace. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, during the pandemic, many employers pre-pandemic, they were not remote, or at least most employers, and they had to make a sudden shift. And then when they made that shift, people were getting used to trying to work with each other, managers trying to engage their employees. What types of things did they try to do to engage their employees? Because this is new for a lot of employers. Yeah, it was collaboration overload was the first instinct of most organizations that were moving into a remote environment in the early pandemic. I mean, it was like Zoom happy hours and walk and talks. And I mean, I had so many mandatory fun Zoom calls (laughs) where people got creative with Jeopardy games and magic shows and whatever it was that we could do that was not work in Zoom to somehow connect and quote unquote, intentionally create culture. So it really led to collaboration overload where people were feeling zoomed out and overwhelmed with the amount of FaceTime that they were required to suddenly do in a virtual environment that for many reasons I can share the research with you drains us and creates increased levels of stress, which led to things like the great resignation over time. So we've gotten, luckily, far away from that strategy and people are now being more creative and less Zoom focused in how we intentionally create culture. But I think most organizations are still struggling to figure out how exactly do you intentionally create the work environment that you want to have when we're all working from home? Because it feels like the only tools we had at our disposal were being in person together, which is 
sad because it's not the way that we show up together and the format in which we show up together. It's, it's in the experiences we create for each other with what we say and do. You're spot on that employers had to get creative with engaging their people because this is so new to people. And I mean, I remember the you know, early days because my workplace was no different where we had to all of a sudden shift to remote and the the happy hours, the the random trivia, the jeopardy like you described. <laughs> I mean, it was fun for a while and then it just sort of burned you out because you're just staring at, you know, screen and you're just like, can we get away from our desk? I mean, do these tactics work long-term or can they work long-term? And what do you suggest people do from, you know, if they're in that type of environment where it's either hybrid or remote like that? You know, there's two kinds of employees. There's the employee that looks forward to the holiday party. And there's the employee who absolutely hates going to the holiday party. And those two employees are not necessarily more or less bought into the culture. A lot of that just has to do with your own personality style And so I think it's sad when companies lean too heavily into those kind of mandatory fun activities to engage in culture. What we see now is companies understanding that it is the way that we are with each other. It's the way that I show up in my empathy for your experience, in my questions when I talk to you about what's going on in your life beyond just the workplace. And Those are where culture gets created intentionally now that I think people are starting to elevate their leadership levels as opposed to leaning on the pizza parties and the Hawaiian shirt Fridays, which really have nothing to do with how we feel about each other. Yeah, those tactics like the pizza parties, the happy hours, those are short-term solutions and they don't help from an engagement long-term and quite frankly, it doesn't fulfill them. I hear the word burnout a lot lately. Pizza party is not fixing burnout. (laughs) So if people are feeling burned out uh, and I'm hearing this word and I think it's a little bit of a movement called anti-work, people are burned out. They don't feel like they're getting paid fairly. They're not fulfilled in their work. What's going on with this movement? Oh, I've been following the anti-work movement for a year now. Oh, so it's been going on that long. Oh, yeah. And it started as a radical fringe group on Reddit. Basically, people who were not upset about working, which is a common misconception. They were asking deeper questions about work, such as, why do we work? I've actually joined some anti-work meetings to understand more fully what these people are doing. They're not radicals. And now you're seeing people in pop culture on social media adopting this anti-work label as something that they have joined. It's still fairly unorganized, right? And and it's an ideology more than it is an actual movement. But I think we're getting there because it's people asking the question, why do we work? What is the purpose of work? Where do I fit in work in the rest of my life? It's the backlash against work-life balance and talking about work-life integration. It's the bringing the human to work again. All of that is what the anti-work movement is asking questions about. And It's not people who don't want to work. It's people who want to work with intention, who want to feel like there's meaning in the work that they do and they want to make work matter again, you know, not to carry too much from another commonly used phrase, but they want to feel like there's purpose, which is honestly questions that humans have been asking themselves since the beginning of consciousness. Why do we exist? What is my purpose here? What is my contribution? And we're asking those questions in the workplace now, which we have been and should be now more than ever. So here's why I think that movement is going to grow. Since 2008, the birth rate has dropped 20 to 30%, depending on your source. The higher ed institutions are currently looking at a massive enrollment cliff in the year 2025. That's not 10 years from now. That's in a year and a half. 
So they're expecting 15% less students in their incoming freshman class in a year and a half because of this birth rate drop. That's going to be a workforce cliff that year for frontline workers who go straight to the work after high school. And it's going to be a white collar workforce cliff four years after that when they're graduating from college and there's 15% less employees. Classic economics 101 supply demand supply. with less supply of employees, their demands, this is not actually what the theory is, but their demands are going to become more important because they are in demand. And so anti-work movement sentiment is going to get louder and the CEOs that are going to win and the CEOs that we're working with right now that are winning are the CEOs who are paying a lot of attention to what they're saying and they're creating a work environment that feels sustainable and isn't just about the short-term monetary gains, but is it about the long-term purpose fulfillment of the organization. In order for a company to fulfill its purpose, they have to make money. So it's not anti-capitalist. We need the companies to make money in order to fulfill their purpose. But the focus is not the money. The focus is the purpose fulfillment for which we need to make money in order to do. So everyone can win. The CEOs and the investors and the private equity firms can win and employees can win if we balance these competing, what are supposedly competing needs, but they're really not competing if we think about it in a win-win way. This anti-work ideology, it actually could be a gift if you kind of think of it that way versus like on the surface, somebody could say, wow, there's a group of people that just don't want to work. They don't want to produce. And that's not what you're saying at all. You're saying like they're crying out for help in, in some ways or having employers like listen something's broken with the way that we're coming to work and showing up. We want to produce for you. We want to get paid fairly. There's just something that needs to be fixed. And what is that solution? Is it employee engagement? Because that's what managers tend to go to. Why or why not? Yeah, I think employee engagement is a false profit. I mean, the idea of employee engagement needs to die a quick and painful death because Employee engagement was invented in the 1990s by a bunch of management consultants who wanted to sell their consulting and their books and their products. Because the 1990s, before employee engagement existed, it was job satisfaction. We were measuring, to what extent are you happy with your job? And that was the full stop goal. Are you happy? Yes or no? Out of one, one to 10, what's your satisfaction level? And then we said, let's upgrade it to engagement, which is not just happiness, but attention and focus on the job at hand. That's what engagement means. To what extent are you focused at the task at hand? And so it's really about getting their mind share focused on work, which is what leads to burnout, to circle back to the beginning of this conversation. It leads to a sense of hustle culture, which isn't sustainable over the long term. So we propose replacing the idea of employee engagement with something new called employee fulfillment. Fulfillment is the extent to which your character and abilities are being fully developed. So to what extent do you feel fulfilled here? Do you feel whole? Can you feel whole here? Are you developing in your character and your abilities beyond just your work tasks, but you as a person? And when you meet that, that Venn diagram intersection is where the magic happens. It's where companies are fulfilled. People are fulfilled. People are making money. Companies are making money. Everybody wins. What's interesting, the way you're articulating it, and it makes a lot of sense to me. Engagement feels like a very top-down like tactic, like I'm going to engage you and get you to produce <laughs> results, right? fulfillment seems more like a framework and more of a, a round of a discussion of like, what do you want out of work? What, like, what are your hopes and dreams in, in your real life? Like if you want to bring your whole self to work, we've got to understand you as a whole person. 
Am I understanding that correctly? It's more of a conversation and a framework. Yeah. And it makes room for there to be varieties of experiences, needs, and wants within each employee. So some people are fulfilled by compensation. Some people are fulfilled by doing creative work. Some people are fulfilled by relationships with their peers. Some people are fulfilled by making a difference on at a macro level, whatever their company is doing. There's different things that fulfill different employees. And so it's the heavy lifting that leaders need to do to understand what those unique things are and create opportunities and space for all of those needs to get fulfilled. And the win-win is that the organization will fulfill its goals as a result. That's bottom line. With the decrease in employees available to companies, companies need to make employees happy so that they will stay with the company and do the work that needs to be done to fulfill the mission, not just those quarterly financial targets. And that's the secret sauce. When employees are struggling um, to be engaged and employers recognize it, and you even mentioned earlier, like pre-1990, it was job satisfaction. They would turn to surveys, employee engagement surveys, right? Now, if we're, if we're talking about wanting to have employees fulfilled, employers are probably still going to survey their people. And I don't know if you're suggesting one way or another to do it or not to do it. But where do most surveys miss the mark? Because I know not everybody's doing it right. Yeah. I mean, the most obvious mistake that I see is the frequency with which these surveys are being distributed. It's the annual engagement mm. survey. It's October. <laughs> Time to find out yeah. if you're happy. We'll see you back here in 12 months, right? Which is insane. I mean, this pace of business is so much faster than annual. And so we need to be checking in with people much more frequently. And there are companies doing pulse surveys now, even weekly text check-ins. How are you feeling? Any challenges right now? And there are people that it's elevating the voice of the employee at a much more on the mark level than these annual employee surveys. I mean, I used to work for a Fortune 100 company that did the annual employee engagement survey that once we got the survey results, the survey was open for three weeks. Then we needed to review that and do the analysis and do the language processing. And then we'd finally get the PowerPoint together to show to the CEO who would then review it. And then once they've reviewed it, we can show it to the next level of C-suites. And by the time the managers actually look at the results, it's been five months. And they're like, well, that's no longer relevant. That leader isn't here anymore. So what value was there in that, right? And there's lots of employee experience apps, companies that are trying to elevate the voice of the employee more frequently, which is helpful. But I think the nature of the questions that we ask need to change fundamentally. And asking questions about fulfillment are going to get you better, richer data to understand whether your employees are feeling fulfilled and interested in staying for the long haul. What are a couple of questions you like on, on surveys, whether it's annual, quarterly, or even pulse check? Well, one of the questions that I feel very passionately about is asking employees about their purpose and whether or not their purpose aligns with the company's purpose. I think culture fit is a scam. It is just an excuse to allow unconscious bias to infiltrate into the system, which is terrible for decision making. It's, you know, when people think about culture fit, they think about who do I want to get a beer with? You know, they're a good culture fit. And so you're going to end up feeling like the people who are look and talk and act and, you know, have backgrounds like you are a better culture fit than people who are different. So culture fit needs to also die a quick and painful death. <laughs> and instead, we need to ask about purpose fit. What is your purpose, your personal purpose? And does it align with the purpose of this organization? And if we have purpose fit, 
great. If we don't, how can we find more purpose fit for you? Or is this not the right place for you? Because why not proactively find out where someone is eventually going to leave the organization and do it in a way in which we're nurturing people lead with love. You know, I mean, one of the things that I'm so passionate about is bringing love back to the workplace. And I don't mean romantic love, obviously. I mean, love the way that Thomas Aquinas defined it, which is to will the good of another. How can we will the good of another in the workplace instead of the greed and avarice that tends to make most decisions happen in corporate America today? I think you nailed it about purpose. I mean, when people show up and they're fulfilled in their work, it means that they have purpose in their work. They love what they're doing. And it definitely connects with what the organization does. I think many employers aren't great about articulating what their mission and their purpose is. How have you seen really successful employers do that? So that way, when you ask that question of like, are you aligned with the purpose? They can answer that one way or another because it's very clearly stated. I I don't see a lot of employers doing this great. Yeah. Well, three key tips. I could talk to you for literally another hour about this, but the first tip is your purpose can't have anything to do with money. The purpose of business is to make money. We're asking what your unique contribution to the world is, right? So if there's anything in there about being number one, winning, competition, beating, you know, that's not in the purpose. It's the way that you will serve the world as by existing. Two is six words or less. The free words you get are, our purpose is two. And then once you get to that two word, you got six words after that. Anything longer than that, you're probably including too much information and you need to be more concise. And then three is every leader needs to think of themselves as the chief reminding officer. We need to start every meeting. We do at Culture Partners start every meeting by stating our purpose. It gets tedious. It gets repetitive. It can sometimes be uncomfortable and a little bit embarrassing for leaders because they feel like we've done this before. They're going to be annoyed with me for continuing to repeat this. But it's the only way to ensure that every single person in the company knows the purpose. And if they don't even know the purpose, then how in the world are they going to know if they have purpose fit? So those are the top three suggestions for purpose fit alignment. When it comes to fulfillment with what you're describing, like let's get rid of employee engagement, let's fulfill employees' purpose. What are some other strategies that fall in line with it? What, like, what do you recommend people do? I think we need to get much more creative than we have been in the past about the way that we accomplish that fulfillment. There's companies out there who are doing really creative things like Blueboard, right? They're a company who allows organizations to recognize top talent or employees who've just accomplished something through experiences like getting a massage or swimming with the sharks or doing something crazy that is sometimes what people want most out of life. They want to experience, they want adventure, right? There's another company, Keep Financial, that allows for companies to compensate employees with a sort of, let's say, bonus that then they pay off through tenure so that they stay with the organization longer in order to pay off that bonus that they've received. And that compensation is sometimes what fulfills someone, you know, and there's other creative ways that we can figure out, like at our company, my quarterly performance evaluation includes personal goals that I have for myself. Things like learning how to play the piano and going to a certain amount of dance classes a week. And my boss asks me about that with as much intention and interest as he does about my departmental goals. And so I feel like he's really interested in the whole me. So there's lots of creative ways. I also think that we need to be reevaluating compensation and promotion decisions much more frequently than annually. That's a, a minimum quarterly decision that we need to be remaking 
It's just like in a marriage where you choose to love your partner every day. In a company, you can't wait till once a year to choose to ensure you're compensating your top talent at the appropriate level. Markets move quickly. They do. And it's interesting because there, a lot of employers were doing performance reviews once a year and comp reviews around the same time, if, if not exactly the same time. And as you alluded to, things move too fast. Once a year to give feedback to somebody is one thing, but to adjust wages based on how the market's moving once a year is insanity, with, especially in this market right now. Totally. I mean, think of how different the world looks now from as compared to a year ago when we were in the height of the great resignation. And now we're having layoff upon layoff upon layoff. Now, interestingly, those layoffs don't match reality. We still have 1.8 jobs for every person that's looking for a job, right? It's still an employee's market. And yet these tech companies are having layoffs. It's like group think at the world builder level that is making the markets crash because the fear of the might crash, right? I mean, it's driving me insane, but it is what it is. So as these economic cycles adjust, we need to adjust accordingly in order to make sure we sustain and retain our best talent. When making the shift from employee engagement tactics to employee fulfillment, who owns this? Is it senior leaders? Is it the HR department? Is it the managers just now need to adopt this philosophy? What do you recommend for employers to really make a concerted effort on this? This is a culture shift. And I always say that culture is leader led, but it is co-created by every level of the organization. So it's something that Obviously, the top level leader needs to endorse the executive team needs to get behind HR typically manages the process and facilitates it, but it cannot be HR led because then it's just another HR initiative. It can't be manager led because then it doesn't have executive buy in. It can't be executive led because most frontline workers don't even have any interactions or visibility with the executive team. It's a co-created, co-owned process. But leaders need to pave the way. They need to make the decision, make the announcement, invest in the new project initiative to change the questions or get the new software or whatever it is. You don't have to give away all your secrets here, but if there's a, a rhythm in which you would do surveys, have conversations, manager to employee, like what are the must-haves when making this shift to employee fulfillment? Well, one of them is that you don't need more than three questions on your employee fulfillment survey. These employee engagement surveys that have 57 questions are just hilarious to me. What they end up creating is massive dashboards with numbers that we can say, oh, well, look, we're good on collaboration, but somehow we're bad on teamwork. I wonder why those two things, which are kind of the same, have completely different scores. It's because you've overcomplicated the questions. People end up just trying to get through it. And sometimes the language that's being used is so convoluted that it just makes it messier. So three questions, at least quarterly, monthly if you can, check-ins otherwise that are happening on a one-on-one -on -one and personal basis. I mean, we really need to be doing a better job of the cascading upward. You know, communications need to cascade down when something happens at a strategic level and managers need to cascade down. Well, we also need to cascade up. What your frontline leaders are telling your frontline supervisors needs to cascade up to the next level manager, director, VPs, et cetera. And I think that upward cascading which is reverse osmosis, I don't know, I have to come up with a word for that, is often forgotten and needs to be changed. How do we know if this is all working in the end? So we make this big shift to employee fulfillment, put all these things in place, make the change, 
I don't know, six months down the road, what, what kind of measurement would we be using to know if it's working or not? Well, the number one measurement that I always say is your key leading indicator about how your culture is doing is if you're achieving your financial results which may sound counterintuitive, but if you're not achieving your financial targets, then your culture isn't working for you, right? Because the culture is to facilitate achieving results. We define culture as it's experiences that shape our beliefs, which drive our actions and get results. So culture is experiences that ultimately get you results. And so if you're not achieving your results, then you've got a problem somewhere in that culture pyramid, the results pyramid, we call it. That's number one. Number two is in the actual retention of your talent, right? And you're also going to see it in attraction now because our brand and our culture are merging into one. They have been for a while. There's some companies who even have joint CMO, CHROs because the nature of multidimensional, multidirectional communication at this point, namely through social media, people are posting about their experience with culture on Glassdoor on TikTok, I mean, even non-anonymously, right? And then that is becoming public information, which is informing the opinion that outside consumers have about that company. So it's going to affect not only your consumer expectations about the company and, and reputation, but also the interest with which you will find candidates wanting to work for your company. So number one is financial results. Number two is talent retention. Number three is talent attraction. And then number four is the scores you get on your employee fulfillment survey. Well, Jessica, this has been a great discussion. What what did I miss in, in this conversation? Like anything that you want to leave people with or even point people to to learn more? Hmm. Yeah. Well, I, we have lots of research that we have done, original research around the role that women play and having more women in leadership roles and what that does to your organization. We have research around this results pyramid that I just kind of briefly touched upon. We're about to release some new Stanford research on the financial impact of having a culture-led organization. So lots of fun stuff to get out there. And we also have an ebook on this very topic about employee engagement being dead and needing to replace it with employee fulfillment. So if it's something your listener wants to check out, then they can go to podcast.culture.io and they can get access to all of those resources and, and many others. My guest today has been Dr. Jessica Kriegel. Thanks for being part of the podcast. A lot of fun. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the guest's own and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws. The material and information presented on Transform Your Workplace is for general information and educational purposes only. Zenium HR or the host, Brandon Laws, does not necessarily endorse any guest, their business, or any organization they represent. Discretion is advised. Please work with a trusted advisor to find a custom approach that fits your organization's needs.